that he gave me to give to you is a word that is going to bring supernatural strength to you as individuals, but also strength to the body. You know, we live in a time that the enemy is trying to disillusion God's people, confuse God's people, discourage God's people, hinder God's people. And my uncle used to say, sometimes the devil lies to you with signs following. (laughs) But we live in a tumultuous world. Everywhere we look, there's assault, there's attack, there's terrorizing against the body of Christ around the world. And even within our own borders, we've got border threats, we've got cyber threats that are happening right now. We've got financial systems teetering. And it seems like the enemy is piling on every day. Children are on the battlefield. The the enemy's trying to destroy the psyche and the moral value system of the children before they even have a chance to get started. The enemy, if he hasn't got them as children, he'll try to destroy them before they reach 20 years of age. The suicide rates among teenagers have skyrocketed. And the leading cause of death among teenagers has become suicide. I've been in Philadelphia, I've been in Chicago with meetings, but when I look at what's going on now, the drug wars have escalated. There are people walking down what they call zombie land in Philadelphia with needles hanging out of their, their arms. The enemy has made an open show trying to destroy God's people And many of the people who are strung out on drugs or are in prison, you would be surprised to learn how many of them have praying grandparents or praying parents. Some of them have grown up in church because the enemy has come against the children and the families to take out a generation that should be destroying his works. There are holy wars going on all over the world. We have friends in Nigeria. They pray around the clock because of Boko Haram and those that are taking out entire villages. Oppression, depression. Everywhere we look, it seems on every side there's a battlefield. Every side there's a battlefield. I was uh, talking to Pastor Coley yesterday, and we said, you know, about four years ago, maybe even a little bit longer, I was hearing a lot of ministers talk about a coming revival. And a lot of them were saying prophetically, it's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. And so I take those words seriously. I said, Lord, I've been around a long time. (laughs) I've seen a lot of stuff. Under the tents, I've seen it, you know, all different types of expression of what we would call revival. But I said, God, what's it going to look like this time? I want to know how different it's going to look. And immediately the Lord spoke into my spirit, it's going to look like a mash unit. I said, what? And my mind went back to that TV series, MASH. 
which is really a temporary hospital unit that's used for war. And the people that are brought to the mass unit are dying. They're suffering. They're bleeding out, right? They need immediate help. They need immediate attention. They need people who know what to do. And God began to speak to my spirit that he is preparing his church. I want you to hear me now because how many of you consider yourself part of his church? You know, for too long as his church, we have taken advantage of all the great worship music, of the Bible teaching. We've gotten our hallelujahs in. We got our praise breaks in. We've just eaten and drunk and filled ourselves up. But we haven't really taken it to the streets. But when these mass units come into play, God is looking for his church that at the drop of a hat will know what to do when the desperate come in or when we see them on the street. We'll know how to cast out a devil. We'll know how to heal the sick. We'll know how to get them saved. And this is what I'm talking about when I say God is going to bring a supernatural strengthening to us, especially for he saved us for this hour before he comes again. But sometimes, you know, as we look through our Instagram feed <laughs> or our YouTube feed, and we see one thing after the other taking place, and it seems to get worse and not better, and we never have reports of holiness or godliness, or should I say rarely, we begin to question, God, how bad is it going to get? When are you coming, Lord? <laughs> what are you going to do about this, God? But I've come to understand through Scripture, and I'm going to be reading quite a bit of Scripture today. God is not passive about these things. God is watching. God is seeing. He knows all. But God is a God that has long-suffering patience. And he, I believe he is testing the hard-heartedness of all the rebellious who would want to mock his name and destroy his people. He's waiting. There's coming a time when he's going to act. But he's testing how hard-hearted are these rebellious people going to be. And many of them, as I say, were former Christians, believers. But I believe there comes a point when the rebellious have been so relentless in defying God. And I want you to hear me, that God begins to go to war on behalf of righteousness. My title today is, Our God is a Warrior. Our God is is a warrior. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to read through some of it. I promise I won't read the whole thing, but I want to start at verse 1. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses, order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pi-Hiroth between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore, across from Baal Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. 
And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this. I want you to underline that. I have planned this, God says, in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole armor. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. I was talking to Wade about this yesterday. God was using his people as bait. (laughs) He wanted the enemy to think they were confused. They were sitting ducks. And oftentimes we may think that God has abandoned us or God has left us to the plight with all these people pouring across our borders and those threatening terrorism and all the attacks against our children and the drug situations, we say, God has abandoned us. Uh Uh-uh. He hasn't abandoned us. God is setting us up for a miracle. God is a strategist. God is a warrior. He's going to outsmart the enemy. Hallelujah. Because he wants to display that he is God. Let's keep reading. So Pharaoh, as you know, began to follow them and began to approach, and the Israelites began to get fearful. Lord Moses, why did you bring us out here in the desert to die? Weren't there graves in Egypt? You know the story. Verse 13, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Say it out loud. The Lord himself will fight for you. Somebody doesn't believe it today. You might not be going through a fight. But if you believe it, say it out loud. The Lord himself will fight for you. And then in verse uh, 17, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. I want you to think about this. When God goes to war for us, There are reasons why God goes to war. And God has given us a very clear reason why he went to war for Israel against Pharaoh. And it was that they would know who God is. They would know who the Most High God is. But not just Israel. Look at verse 31. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians... They were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in Moses. So I believe, listen, that God, when he begins to show his mighty hand, he's doing it with great purpose. He wants to see, he wants the enemy to see and to know who the true God is. 
but he wants his people to be reminded of who he is. He's not just some Bible story we hear about since we're children and hope that he exists, but he is the living God. He is the God who answers us when we call unto him. He's the God who protects us and surrounds us. We can put our faith in him again. And we need to put our faith in him. So God goes to war, number one, to show himself strong and to show that he is God. See, there are earthly rulers and warring nations that are determined to wipe God's people off the map and to embarrass the Lord God of heaven and earth. Just like Pharaoh, they're eaten up with arrogance and pride. And we see them on the news today. They're demonized. They're filled with a spirit of destruction and annihilation. We saw it happen in Israel back in, was it October? Was it October 6th or 7th? The 7th, thank you. We saw it happen when they went in and brutalized God's people, destroyed them. And in a lot of ways, they're delusional because they think nobody can resist their power. Nobody can resist their attack. Nobody can handle who they are. But what they don't realize is when they're fighting against Yahweh, when they're fighting against the Lord Almighty, they're fighting against somebody who's long-suffering. He's waiting. He's giving an opportunity. He's allowing people to humble themselves. But he's not going to tarry very long. Turn to Psalm chapter 2, because even though they're bloodthirsty, even though they're coming after God's people, I'm here to tell you, God's ready for them. (laughs) You know this verse, this, this psalm very well. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem and on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. See, there's coming a time when the end of all things is going to be here. And even though there are earthly kings that are going to resist until the end of time, still trying to take out God's people. God has been waiting and waiting and waiting to give the final blow. But the final blow, hallelujah, comes when his son returns in his glory and puts his foot on the Mount of Olives, and he is declared King of kings and Lord of lords. He is going to show 
who the true God is. This is what's coming. But until he comes again, the church is called to represent who he is, to come against the evil one, and to stake claims for the kingdom. So God goes to war to show who he is. But the second thing I want to emphasize is that God goes to war over territories. There are demonic warriors that strategize to take God's people out, but they do it by infiltrating, whether it's a neighborhood, you can go into your town and say, this is the area of town that's known for drugs. This is the area of the town that's known for prostitution. This is the area of town that's dangerous. You don't want to go there. There's violence in that area of town. And it's getting to be that it's all over the city now. But the enemy goes in to encroach upon territories. And the, the reason they've advanced so much is that the church doesn't understand why God has placed them in that city, and that is to hold back, to occupy, to resist the works of the enemy until Christ comes again. We haven't done it. We've been content coming to inside the church to sing our hymns and dance our da dance and say, well, I hope God comes quickly because I want to get out of this place. There was a woman that came to my dad years ago, and she said, Brother Shambach, will you pray that God moves my, me to a different apartment? I am so sick of living in that apartment. That whole, whole apartment complex is nothing but sinners. And he said, I will not pray that. God put you there to go after those sinners and get them saved. Why am I going to pray that he takes the only godliness out of that apartment building? Don't you understand that when God put you where he put you, he did it for a reason, to set the captives free and to show who the mighty name of Jesus is. Hallelujah. But we have to understand that the enemy is a strategist that wants to take territories. You could also describe a territory as a family unit. That's why we, we should have been teaching our daughters how to choose their husbands, how to pray over their husbands, because you get somebody in the foothold in a family, it can destroy a family unit for generations. A congregation could be considered a territory. You know, when revival begins to break out and people are getting saved and miracles are taking place, I heard one pastor say, the devil always sends in a kook to destroy the work that God is doing. I've seen it happen. I was in, it was a church in Tyler. There was a, there was a revival that was taking place among the youth, 500 youth in the youth group. They were dancing around the altars every Sunday. They were getting saved. And... Like clockwork, the enemy came in and began to deal. The, one of the main musicians in the, uh, uh, the youth group was killed in a car accident. He was taken out. And then the youth pastor that was 
administrator over the youth, he got a wild hair that, uh, that he was going to go and be a part of a large ministry, and that large ministry doesn't even know his name. And he left the administration of those youth. And within three months, that 500 went back down to 30. Three months, I saw it with my own eyes. You see, we have to understand that the enemy is a strategist that tries to infiltrate the troops, the city, the family. And if we're just sitting, twiddling our thumbs, praying to be taken out of here, and we're not on watch, and we're not praying, and we're not speaking to that enemy and saying, "Uh uh-uh, you don't belong in my house. You don't belong in my family. You don't belong in my neighborhood. In the name of Jesus, I resist you, and I push you back. We've got to begin to stand up and take territory. You see, when God goes to war over territories, hear me, he begins to raise up warriors. And you trace it throughout Scripture. He, he found some pretty strange warriors. Do you know he even used a woman from time to time? Prophet Deborah. Can you imagine a man afraid to go to war, he said, I got to get Deborah to go out with me. If I get Deborah, I know we're going to win. Come on, women, that's a great place to shout. Then, when the children of Israel were in sin, they weren't obeying God or whatever, he found a warrior hiding in a wine press. He called him a mighty man of valor. And Gideon looked around and said, Who are you talking to in here? God didn't listen to him. Gideon had all kinds of questions. Where are the miracles? We've heard about miracles our whole life. We can't even see them. Where are they? The angel didn't even answer him. He said, I want you to go in this might of yours. And I believe the same word is coming to the church today. Instead of us asking where are the miracles and doubting and being filled with wonder, we need to understand I have given you power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will go and tell people of me you have an authority. God needs to raise up some warriors. Do I have any here? You remember when Israel was cowering, afraid of the booming voice of Goliath, hiding all of the strong warriors of Israel. Even Saul was hiding. And along comes a shepherd boy who had a tried weapon because he had used it in relationship with the God that he knew. He wasn't just learning about him. He had seen the power of God when a bear came against him, when a lion came against him. And he saw this mocker. He saw this foul-mouthed giant coming against the God of Israel. And he said, you come against me with a sword and a shield, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. With a slingshot, he knocked him down. And then he grabbed his own, Goliath's own sword and took his head off. 
This is what God is looking for. God is a warrior, but he's looking for some army men. He's looking for some generals. He's looking for those that will stand up in the face of opposition and say, devil, I resist you in the name of the Lord of hosts, and his name is Jesus. The devil didn't give up. He became more relentless. And whether it was when the children of Israel were in captivity in Babylon and Haman was threatening to take out the entire nation of Israel, God raised up a woman. He said, call the people to a fast. See, the weapons of our warfare are different, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. And Esther began to show that we've got to come together as warring people. There are times that we have to go down on our knees. There are times we have to turn the plate over. There are times that we have to even call the children and the animals to a fast. When times get serious, God is going to hear us. Daniel. God used him in prayer and fasting and spoke to him prophetically, but it was his prayer and fasting that saved him in the midst of the lion's den. Hallelujah. See, God didn't promise us that we wouldn't go through situations. He didn't promise us that it wouldn't get hot or it wouldn't get difficult or it wouldn't get scary. But he did show us how to thwart the power of the enemy by learning how to call on his name, by learning how to wield the weapons of praise, by learning how, hallelujah, to fast and pray and get a hold of God to get direction for our families, for our church, for our cities. And I've seen God deal with territories all through my life. I mean, Pastor Ellis said it. I've been in ministry <laughs> since the time I was a child. I forget your name, but you talked about Miracle Valley. I told you I was there in 1955. That's when I was just born. I was just born in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. My parents got a travel trailer and went to Miracle Valley. I literally grew up in Miracle Valley my first four years. So this is what I'm saying. We've been in the church a whole lot. We've seen a lot of things. And when I, I would go into those inner cities, whether it was in the Bronx or Harlem or Camden, New Jersey or Philadelphia or Chicago, the police would tell the men who were sitting up and setting up the tent, you're in the wrong area. This is not where white people go. This, this is a violent area. You're, oh, no, that's, this is the right place. This is exactly where we go. And then when the tent had been up for 10 days or 30 days, the police would come and say, can you stay a little longer? Because the crime rate has gone to zero since you've been here. 
You see, that's the power of the Holy Ghost that can do a work in a community. But you see, evangelists have to pass that on to the pastors, and the pastors have to pass that on to the people sitting in the pews. We've got to learn it's not just an evangelist with a tent that can kick the devil out of town, but when he goes, there got to be some enforcers that stay. You're not welcome here. Drugs, you're not coming back into town. No, we are claiming our neighbor to be a godly neighborhood. Oh, I could tell you story after story. I'll tell you this one. I met, uh, some of you may have heard of Dimas Salaberrios. He was a gang member in the Bronx, and he came from a well-to-do family. But he got gloriously saved, and he and I met on the set of TBN, I was going into Chicago. He was going into Chicago. But he began to tell me what was happening in New York City because I knew as I would drive through New York City, I'd say, oh, we had a tent meeting there. We had a tent meeting there. We had a tent meeting in that borough. Oh, we had a tent meeting. I said, my dad's sown seed all over this, all over this city. But he said, Donna, you know what God did? He said, God put together a concert of prayer where pastors from all denominations began to come together and say, we don't want the devil to have our city. And they began to pray. And they began to seek God. And I'm not talking one time. They would meet regularly. Dimas said he would have to call pastors to make sure they got there. He worked it. For years and years and years and years, he worked it. But finally, God gave them a strategy, and they began to decide, you know what? Each of the churches are going to take their city block, and we're going to get the city to give us a block party, and we're going to have things for the children. It may not be a tent, but we're going to be preaching. There's going to be health things. There's going to be pamphlets, and we're going to let the people know that Jesus loves our neighborhood. And simultaneously throughout New York City, throughout all the boroughs on the same day, blocks were shut down, and they were lifting up the name of Jesus. Demas told me they're beginning to see a change that you'll never hear about in the news. You'll never hear about it in the news. But this is what I want to tell you. God will war after territories, but he needs warriors to work with him. Are you ready? I could go on and on. Can I tell you one more? I was... Um, praying about where to go in Costa Rica, and I had my eyes fixed on a, a city on the coast of the, where the Gulf is, and I went to meet with those pastors, and it was like talking to a wall. I could tell there was no unity. They had more questions than answer. They knew how to do everything. They weren't looking for, and I walked away saying to our, our crusade director, uh-uh. I said, do you know anybody who's hungry? He says, yes. I know a group of people that are begging for a crusade to come in, but it's in the worst neighborhood of San Jose. I said, that's us. <laughs> and so I went to meet with these pastors from Pavas, 
which was actually created to be a business town, but the refugees, there's an airport that they built there, the refugees came in with their drugs and their gang members and everything, and they built, they built a community on the other side of the river. And we were going through Pavas. These pastors begged me to come. They said, we've asked 10 other American evangelists to come. I said, well, I'll gladly be the last choice. <laughs> but I said, what are we going to do? And they wanted to go in this stadium that was over by the business district. And I said, nope. Is there a field somewhere? And they took me into the neighborhood, or the hood, as they would say, and there was a field. I said, this is perfect. Look, the sound system will hit everybody that's living around there. This is perfect. And my crusade director said, well, no, Christians won't come here. I said, I'm not looking for Christians. <laughs> I think, he said, we'll go for this one first. But in my spirit, I knew that that field was it. Finally, that stadium was shut down to us. And my crusade director came and he said, we have to use the field. I said, oh, good. <laughs> well, here's how the enemy works. I had a group of about 30 people that came with me, pastors included. And uh, we were already in town, getting ready for the first night. And uh, we heard on the news that the night that we arrived, the main assassin of the gangs, th this area was riddled with gangs, killed somebody on the entrance to the field, right where all the people would be going. When that happened, our security team completely backed out. We're not going down there. It's too dangerous. And so my crusade director was saying, are we going? I said, we're going. I said, take everybody to Walmart. I want them to get bottles of oil. <laughs> they all went. I said, we're going to anoint every foot of the perimeter, pour a whole bottle over the entrance, anoint every blade of grass, anoint the platform. We're going to claim this field for Jesus. And while we were doing it, I was telling uh, one of my team members, I said, boy, when we did this in Mexico City, the pastors, they rented a helicopter. And they went up over the city of Mexico City with gallons of oil, and they poured it over the city. And that crusade, there was 50,000 uh, converts that were documented that came to the Lord in four days. So I said, do it again, Lord. I said, I wish we had a helicopter. Well, the next day, Jonathan came to me and said, were you talking to Jaime about the helicopter? I said, no, I just talked to you about it. He said, well, there's a helicopter. I said, what are you talking about? He said, Pastor Soto called and said, I have a friend who has helicopters, and the Lord told him Sister Donna needs one. I said, I guess we do. And we got gallons of oil, and we went up in a helicopter, and we poured it all over Pavas. That first night, praise God, Brother Tiff was preaching that night. He gave the altar call. The first person to receive the Lord was the lead drug dealer, the lead gang member in the city. He came the next night, brought 10 others with him. Every night God was saving gang 
two assassins. They came to the Lord. One of them was in the hospital. He received the Lord watching the crusade on television. Here's what I want to tell you. The enemy knows who you are. He knows what you bring. He knows the authority of the word that you carry in your mouth. He knows you've got more power than the devil. He knows greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he will try to intimidate your socks off. We got to be bold. We got to learn how to talk back. We literally delivered to say, God, give me my marching orders. What territory do you want me to claim? And he may start with your family. He may start with that son that's behind bars. He may start for the one with your family that has decided they don't know their gender, if you know what I mean. There are some hard cases when we look at certain things, but there's nothing too hard for Jesus. It's time we go after the devil's territory. So God goes to war to show who he is. God goes to war on behalf of territories. But I want you to enjoy this next one. God goes to war over you. Wait, I want you to come and read. Begin reading it. Verse 1 of Psalm 18. You all can turn there. What version are you reading now? The Passion. Start at verse 1 and read through 17. Just so you know, before I start reading, seven months ago, I was going to die with liver failure and kidney failure. So this is, this is something the Lord sent me, and she's got a purpose for it. But the Lord has healed me completely. I'm no dialysis. Not going. All right. And the Bible says, I love you, Yahweh. I am bonded to you, my strength. Yahweh, you're the bedrock beneath my feet, my faith fortress, my wonderful deliverer. Oh, my God, my rock of rescue, where none can reach me. You are the shield around me, the mighty power that saves me, and my high place. All I need to do is call on you, Yahweh, the praiseworthy God. When I do, I'm safe and sound. In you delivered my foes. For when the cords of death were wrapped around me and torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, taking me all the way to death's door, in my distress I called upon you the delivering God, and from your temple throne you heard my trouble cry, and my sobs went right into your heart. The earth itself shivered and shook. It reeled and rocked before him. As the mountains trembled, they melted away, for his anger was kindled against my enemies on my behalf. Fierce flames leapt from his mouth, erupting with blazing, burning coals of smoke. Fire encircled him. He stretched heaven's curtain open, and he came to my defense. Swiftly, 
He rode to earth as the stormy sky was lowered. He rode a chariot of thunder clouds amidst in thick darkness. His steed was a cherub, soaring on the outstretched wings of a spirit wind. Wrapped in the thick clouds of darkness, his thunder tabernacle surrounded him. He said he hid himself in the mystery of darkness. The dense rain clouds were his garments. Suddenly, the brilliance of his presence broke through with lightning bolts and hell, a tempest dropping coals of fire. The Lord thundered. The great God of every God spoke with his thunder voice from the sky. The Most High uttered his voice. He released his lightning arrows and routed my foes. See how they ran and scattered in fear? Then with his mighty roar, he laid bare the foundations of the earth, uncovering the secret source of the sea. The hidden depths and land and sea were exposed by the blast of his breath. He rescued me from the mighty waters and drew me back to himself. Even though I was helpless in the hands of my hateful, strong enemy, you were good to deliver me. Thank you, Jesus. You know, when I think about this psalm and how David was inspired to write it, we can only imagine, because he was a warrior, how many times he felt like the enemy had him right where he wanted him. And that his enemies were too strong for him. But he literally saw the delivering power of God for him, for himself. And I believe many of God's people are in this place. I know I am. When I broke my femur and I couldn't walk and I had to depend suddenly on everybody else to take care of me, the main thing I dealt with was depression. Because I felt like, would I ever be back in the pulpit again? The lies of the enemy are relentless. But I have seen God time and time again. When my mind says it can't be done, God did it even while I wasn't looking. He began to make me stronger and stronger. And this is what we have to understand. Before we can see God perform those mighty miracles in the earth to bring that great revival before we can have the courage to face the devil and know that he can be driven out of territories in our city. We have to understand who he is for us in our situation. There is nothing too hard for God. No matter what the enemy has said to you, it's, the, it's too too strong against you. This is the end of your rope. You'll never breathe again. It's time we say, I'm going to cry out to God because I know he is a warrior. <clears throat> and even if I don't see them, he has warrior angels that are released on my behalf. Hallelujah. And you know, I feel like I hope I can say it the way I feel it. You know, 
as God begins to strengthen his church as an army, and our faith begins to see who he is and that he fights for us and that we're surrounded by warring angels and we're taking territory and we're claiming victories for the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. The resistance is going to be greater. And I believe that God showed David something in these verses. I don't think David knew what he was talking about. He probably thought it was just for him. But when he starts talking about, he opened the heavens, verse 9, and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty angelic being, he flew. Soaring on the wings of the wind, he shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with dark rain clouds. Thick clouds shielded the brightness around him and rained down hail and burning coals. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. May I say like a trumpet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amid the hail and burning coals, he shot his arrows and scattered his enemy. Great bolts of lightning flashed, and they were confused. Then at your command, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen, and the foundations of the earth were laid bare, and he rescued me. I believe God was showing David a glimpse of what it's going to be like when God, Jesus himself, descends from heaven with a shout, hallelujah, and he's going to catch us up, and he's going to take us away, but it's not going to be from our lazy boy, and it's not going to be from a hospital bed, but it's going to be out in the midst, out on the battlefield, where we're declaring who he is, and when the devil's says, I'm taking my last shot, and I'm taking you out. Jesus is going to say, uh-uh, I got her first. Hallelujah. He's carrying me away. Hallelujah. Huh. We got work to do, but we have to understand that our God is a warrior. We got to stop giving glory to the devil. We got to stop telling his testimonies of what he's done and how we're sick and how many new meds we're taking and how we got to hobble. I know I've been guilty of it because we're people who live in the flesh. But we got to say, though I perish, yet will I trust him. Hallelujah. If I have to hobble up to a pulpit. I can still declare the high praises of God. Hallelujah. God's strengthening his people today.